Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Du L, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Today is uh, Friday, August 19, 2016. Today we are reading um, from the Alcoholics Big Book, uh, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are on page 92, the first paragraph. If you are satisfied, he is a real alcoholic. We will concentrate our comments on that first paragraph. Um, and today's readers are Kimberly L. doing the 12 steps, Diane G. doing the 12 traditions. The readers for the main text are Lisa H., Janice B., and Nancy H. And before uh, mentioning to, uh, yesterday's reference number, um, I would like to announce that there has been a correction for the reference number for Wednesday, August 10th, and that number is 9005. The reference number for yesterday, Thursday, August 11, is 9008. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through sheer experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive eating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to a compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that the people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12th tradition of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Kimberly L. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Kimberly L., recovering compulsive overeater from Georgia. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you so much, and I pass. Okay, thank you for that, Kimberly L. Um, I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. Grateful to be here today. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such never ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Drew, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. Thank you. Um, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing, and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify ourselves as compulsive overeaters only. <clears throat> Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that you share and be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions of the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 92, the first paragraph. If you're satisfied that he, has a real, that he is a real alcoholic, we'll read that first paragraph and comment on it. I will now ask Lisa H. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Lisa H., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Tennessee. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he is not too alcoholic. But insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Um, good morning again. This is Lisa H., um, recovered compulsive overeater. And yeah, this is a big paragraph. So for me, um, the line that I have so highlighted is show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding the first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. And for me, this queer mental condition um, it was like my whole life I knew um, that, that I had this queer mental condition, that I thought about food differently than other people, um, that I would decide every day that today was going to be different, that today I was going to be able to control my eating and I would have a healthy breakfast and a healthy lunch and I would exercise and then by 3 p.m., 
it was snack time and I ingested those binge foods and, and lo and behold, a few minutes later, I would be face down in them. Um, and, and usually um, talking to a newcomer, if, you, if I'm telling these stories, they, they understand, they're shaking their head yes, um, that they behave in the same way. Or I would say um, I used to walk through the grocery store and it was like my binge foods would call my name. And I never heard anybody say that until I, until I got on these lines um, and listened to other people talk about this queer mental condition. Um, I, uh, one of the other things I thought I would continue to think, well, maybe I just haven't found, haven't found the right diet or I haven't found the right exercise plan. Um, and it wasn't until I understood um, the twofold nature of this disease that I had an allergy of the body, and boy, did I have an allergy to certain foods, um, particularly sugar for me. Um, and, and once I ingested that, again, that queer, I love that queer mental condition would literally take over. Um, and, and I couldn't, and I couldn't stop, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And then I couldn't stop from starting again. Um, and so if I relay this to a newcomer, um, they almost certainly can, can identify in. Um, and again, then what do we do about it? Um, then we start reading this book. Then we start um, working these steps. And uh, lo and behold, again, if we put those binge foods down, um, it was like I woke up. It was, it was like I woke up. Um, and realized how how strong the allergy of the body was, and how strong this queer mental condition was, um, and that and that on my own um, I was so powerless. Um, finding a power greater than myself, uh, thinking too that that um, that human power that I could somebody else could um, help me through this, whether it was my sponsor, my spouse, um, my friends. Um, finally coming to the realization that my higher power is the only one that could help this allergy of the body and queer mental condition be relieved. Um, and today it is so. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. We can't hear you do. Okay, thank you, Lisa H. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> All right, if you guys can mute um, so that the line will be clear, that would be great. All right, so who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Bella from Westchester. Angela from Westchester. Nancy H. Larry. Judy S. Larry, Judy S, and Reba P, Melissa, Paula C, Paula D, Tina S, Vasa O. Okay, wait, wait. Um, I heard someone at, uh, before Vasa O. I think it was Tina. Yes, Tina. Was it Tina S? Okay, Vasa yes. O. Okay, uh, I have Bella G, Angela D, Nancy H, Larry K. Judy F, Reva P, Tina S, and Vasa O. Why don't we start with those and, and then we'll go from there, okay? Um, Bella G, you're up. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Do, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a wonderful paragraph. And for me, what today... You know, for me, it's so important from your own experience. And this is the beauty of the program because me as a sponsor and me as a sponsee, it's not a program of I am better than you or I am less than you. It's not a program of jealousy or to be in competition. We are all the same. And, you know, as a as a sponsor, it's not that, you know, I, I can give rules and examples from the book. You know, I am talking at the same language with 
we are all the same. I am talking from my own experience. And when somebody can tell me that he, you know, uh, it's hard for him to, to stop the food or uh, he, is, uh, he has resentment or he doesn't know uh, how to connect with the higher power, yes, I understand because I was there, and yes, it's, I am talking from my own experience, and we can see it now here on, on the line. We are so many people, and we are so different, but we are all the same, and it doesn't matter where do you live, and if you are a man or a woman, or what is your financial situation or economic situation. It really doesn't matter. We are all the same because we are all talking from our own experience. And, you know, I can understand and I can listen. It's not that the competition and the war and the people pleaser because I am talking from my own experience. And, yes, I can give examples how I survive all those a hard moments because I am talking from my own experience. And this is the beauty of the program, and this is the, the ability to listen to others. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Okay, thank you, Bella G. Um, Angela D., you're up. Hi, and my name is Angela D. I am from Upper Westchester. I'm recovered and I am grateful. It says here, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, well, I'm going to talk about me. I was a real food addict. For 30 years, I went up and down the scale because I followed a diet. So when you refer back to 32 about the man who was a spree drinker, he would calm his nerves. That was me. I was a real food addict. And for 25 years, he stopped drinking. For 30 years, I stopped eating. I went on a diet. It's my brain that is malfunctioned. My brain. I have an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body. I am grateful today that I could say that. I am grateful that there's no shame. I'm grateful I'm not afraid to say it. So when I help somebody, I listen more than I talk because I know what they're going through. There's a blockage, and it's me, and I had that blockage with my higher power. So today I could say when I sit down and speak to somebody, I let them do all the talking so that they can become free, so that they are not going to be in bondage. And I am so grateful for this program, and I pass. Have a great day. Be blessed. Okay, thank you, Angela D. Nancy H., you're up. Good morning. This is Nancy H. from Massachusetts, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, Here I'm told that, you know, I've talked to the person and I've listened a lot, and I know just about where he is with his unmanageability and his eating, so I can kind of gear my experience with the disease to what he said, along with my experience, which is the only thing I have, my valuable experience of how I discovered I was afflicted with a condition, an illness. You know, it manifested itself in a physical craving for food. And, you know, I, I was able to say I, when I eat, comp- even when I'm not eating compulsively, I still have this mental obsession that tells me it'd be a great idea to pick up the first bite. And the mental obsession never reminds me of the anguish that I've been through to stop eating these allergic foods. And um, I need to keep stressing that this is a fatal malady by showing how hopeless I was before I recovered. And I've got to keep in mind that I'm going with God to carry the message and not the person. I, I try to give examples of my gluttony, my embarrassment, my depression from stuffing myself repeatedly with food. Uh, my experience, you know, it's an invaluable tool that I can use, and I'm obliged. Um, it's my responsibility once I've received this spiritual awakening and I've recovered to carry this to other people that are still suffering. And when I talk to the person, I make sure that I, you know, I brand myself as a, a compulsive overeater and a food addict, 
but I'm very careful never to, um, you know, dub them as and pronounce them as one. I have to let them come to their own conclusion. And um, there are a couple other things I had in mind. Um, oh, the, you know, once once I um, once I painted the real dark picture, I have a solution, so I'm able to tell them how horrible this is and how hopeless we are without the solution. And I don't mention what the solution is. I, I give them the chance to come up and ask me what that is. And I, I just mentioned that, you know, I, I was so hopeless until I found the solution. And hopefully they've identified with some of these behaviors as I've described. And then they're able to ask me some more questions. And eventually they come to the, you know, I did this, I did that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Oh, I did that all the time. I can't, they have this unbelieving look on their face like, I can't believe somebody else is talking about me. So for me, it's just a matter of trying to um, make it clear that I have a physical craving and a mental obsession that's not going to go away unless I find a solution. And for that, I guess with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, thank you, Nancy H. Larry K., you're up. Larry, we can't hear you. Press star one to unmute. Thanks, Stu. Thanks, Stu. Can you hear me now? Yes, you're there. <clears throat> okay, Great. thanks so much. Um, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, so, the, you know, here um, we are, we begin to focus specifically on the on the twofold nature of this, this disease, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. And that prevents the normal functioning of the will. So I'm going to zero in on the, on the hopeless condition of the mind and the body. And, and if this person's a real compulsive overeater like me, you know, he's going to match it immediately. There's no convincing necessary. He can draw his own conclusions. You know, we get his attention this way. We're, we're able to tell him exactly what's wrong with him without having to preach or, or persuade. I mean, he'll know. And you see, I'm not looking to convince him to, to win him over to my way of thinking. You know, I'm, I'm not on commission. You know, I'm not looking to land a patient. I've got plenty of those. I, I'm not looking for that. And, and I'm merely showing him just how baffled I was in the food. So, for example, you know, anybody on this line, when I share with you that for decades, I rarely, and this is just the truth, my truth, I rarely could get through the day without consuming uh, sugary dessert items, uh, pizza, fast food, you name it. And that, you know, even when I would occasionally go on a diet, because I knew how to diet, I've been on hundreds of those, I was miserable. It was like holding my breath underwater, you know, and I was irritable, very irritable. I was discontent, you know, I was anxious, anxious, anxious. I mean, anyone on this line that's a true compulsive reader would understand that feeling. You may still be in the food now and you know, or you may be dieting. You know, you're just working through this process or you're not even convinced to work through the process. You're dieting and you're miserable most of the time. doesn't mean that the cravings necessarily own you at the moment, but you know how this ends. You know that a diet has a beginning and it has an end. And that's the obsession of the mind. And I don't, I don't live like that anymore. See, I can share that with someone with a straight face, not with a wink and a nod. I don't live like that anymore. The problem's been solved. Somehow these, this, this process uh, solved the problem. But I could, I, I could share just how baffling and how horrible this was. I'll never forget how horrible it was. Terrible anxiety, fears. They owned me. The food just numbed me out from that stuff. Thank goodness I don't live like that anymore. See, someone can tell the sincerity of my voice and the truth in it. You can hear the truth in it. It's not kind of, you know, one of those things with a wink and a nod. I'm not dieting anymore by the grace of God. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Judy F., you're up. Hi, Judy. Judy. This is Judy F. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, thank you so much for your service, Stu. This is Judy F., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader from Massachusetts. So grateful to be here and on this paragraph. Gosh, there's so much here. And I notice all the, the readings we've done this week, uh, there's no mention of God or spiritual solution. We're still helping the prospect or the 
possible compulsive overeater identify in. And, um, you know, let him draw his own conclusions and then, but insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. And how I do that is I focus on my own experience that I tell him all, everything I tried to do that um, to try to control this, you know, all the the diets and the, the therapy and the medications and, I mean, uh, the new age stuff and, and going back to church and all these things. And I also, what helped me in the beginning, someone who was talking to me said, even if once I lose control, I, I can't, I want to stop and I can't stop. I have, um, she found that she had the problem and she found over and over. And what I share is I might lose that uh, function of the willpower not right away. So I might pick up my binge foods and still be able to control the amounts for maybe a week or two weeks or I'm on a diet and it calls for I can have you know, a little of my binge food, but I'm whole, I'm white knuckling it. I'm not doing it with ease and comfort at all. And and I talk about that. And I talk about sooner or later, as I wrote out a, a food history in my first step, I saw that sooner or later the food won out and I would binge. And that has been helpful too for people coming in. But again. We don't call anyone a compulsive overeater. We have to come to our own conclusion, and there we are then ready. And I just need to keep giving the information and giving how this is was hopeless for me, and it was a fatal malady. I had two choices, either to accept this solution or go on to the bitter end and um, either die emotionally, spiritually, or physically. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy F. Uh, Reva P., you're up. Good morning. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, I am amazed how clear the directions are here because for so long when I came into program, I heard the analogy of the stool that our disease is threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual. But these paragraphs are so much clearer because it's really twofold, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. And here it's talking about getting somebody to self-diagnose, you know, to see what is the difference between somebody who just eats a little bit too much um, versus who I am, which is a real compulsive overeater. And I love these three important concepts. First of all, it's hopeless, like there is nothing I can do on my own to fix this. And secondly, I have this mental thing when I'm not binging, when I'm crazy, white-knuckled, abstinent, that tells me that when something happens that makes me angry or scared or just uncomfortable, that the best idea I have is to pick up a binge food to give myself ease and comfort. Um, and I love that I can identify with that, that I'm not the only person um, who does that. And then the third thing is, when I try hard and I use my best intellect and my best efforts, I cannot control it, that it's beyond me. And it was not really drilled home, those three um, important points when I came in. And I'm so glad um, and so amazed how, how really clear and simple it is because if somebody is not a real alcoholic, they won't identify with those things. Um, and I'm just so grateful that there is a place to go. And, you know, I can create a hopeless scenario and this crisis um, that we talk about because we have a solution. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just so uh, grateful that it's simple, clear-cut. If I just follow what it says, um, then... Um, I can be of maximum usefulness. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Tina S., you're up. Thanks, Du. Uh, Tina S., compulsive eater anorexic in Florida. I like what was shared. <clears throat> you know, by this time, I've already been talking to the prospect, and uh, and I realize that we have a common bond. And, you know, so therefore, you know, I want to share the solution. 
And, and, and I like what it talks about. You know, it says, you know, we start right there, right where, where he is, we, we try, or she or whoever, you know, to, to really to begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady, you know. In that moment, you know, I, as I even say that, I go back to that place of, oh, my. You know, it's, you know, the place of powerlessness and unmanageability in my life. And, you know, my life was totally unmanageable by me. You know, and then it says to show him my own experience. And, you know, I've had an opportunity to, to be able to, to uh, speak with people and uh, share my experience, strength, and hope, just like someone had done it with me. And, and, and what a cool deal to do, you know. And, and, you know, and I also like what was talked about, you know, this mental, mental twist, you know, because when I've got this going on, I cannot function at all. You know, I like that it says, you know, conditions surrounding that first three Pre, the mental conditions prevent normal functioning of the willpower. You know, and that just takes me back to page 45 that, you know, the dilemma for me is lack of power, you know. And I had to be convinced. And I'm not here to convince anybody. I heard that also, you know. And I'm not going to brand anyone, you know. And that's not, you know, early on I used to try to convince you, you know. And, and you know, it never didn't get me a good result. So today, you know, I try to follow the directions in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to the best of my ability in any given day. You know, and that, and that the, the truth of the matter for me when I'm sharing with someone else is that this is the only thing that worked for me. And I have them same stories about in the chapter of more about alcoholism, all those things that I tried that did not work. And this was the only one that has worked and continues to work. And, and I'll, and I'll uh, pass with this and that on my own, I am screwed. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Tina S. Vasa O, you're up. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Drew, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And for me, that identification was just so, so important. Uh, with the people that um, my sponsor that brought me into the program, I could identify with her. I could identify with people that shared their own experience, you know, with the food going to, to my meetings. So for me, I didn't need anyone to diagnose me that I was a compulsive ovita, but somehow I, I thought I just like to eat. I did not know there was a solution to my problem because I could not stop eating. And I tried so many times over and over until I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, this was my last stop. And I had gained, you know, and lost and gained and lost. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pounds over my lifetime, you know. And uh, so I did not know about the allergy, you know. I, I did not know that the, once I had the allergy, the, the obsession would start, you know, kicking in. You know, oh, you can have one more. Oh, you'll start again tomorrow or next week or for that special occasion. I was miserable I was so miserable, and I was getting physically sick. I was getting to be pre-diabetic, and my blood pressure was beginning to kick in. This was like 30 years ago. It's by the grace of God. I don't have none of those symptoms today. So I don't uh, diagnose. It says, and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. And I don't diagnose people. You know, they need to draw their own conclusion. And I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a therapist, and I'm not a lawyer. And I'm, I'm, I'm just a recovering, compul- uh, you know, recovered compulsive leader. And I'm just sharing, sharing my own experience, strength, and hope. And thank you, God, you know. I just say, okay, if they diagnose themselves, they are real, you know. Okay, you know, there's a solution. And, you know, I can show them the big book, and I say, oh, this is what I do, go to meetings, follow the work the steps, and uh, and I really, you know, I don't go into people today unless if they're really, really seriously, in, you know, ready to admit they are. You know, I mean, I will guide them, but, you know, they have to be really ready to do the work, take the action, and the best action I took was to surrender to God, number one, and my program, and whatever, you know. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Um, we'll open it up for sharing again on this paragraph. Who else would like to share? 
Melissa C. Uh, I heard somebody uh, before Melissa C. Carol G. I think I heard Nessa R. Then Melissa C. And then someone before Monica T. Renee G. G. And then who else? Carol G. Carol. Carol, I think it was Carol B. And Paula D. Kim G. Paula D and Kim G. Lynn S. Lynn S. Janice M. And Janice M. Okay, why don't we start off with those? Okay, so this is who I heard. Nessa R., Melissa C., Renee G., Monica T., Carol B., Paula D., Kim G., Lynn S., and Janice, Janice M. Okay? So that's our lineup. Um, we'll start off with Renee, uh, I'm sorry, Nessa R. Hi, good morning. Listen for you. This is uh, Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So now that I have gotten my sponsee or prospects of attention um, with the fact that I know what they're talking about, I know what it's like to be there because I've told them my story. Um, and they can see um, my background beside, uh, behind my, my normal my normal sized body. They can see that I've done what they've done, and been where they've been, and done what they you know thought what they thought. Now I'm given my next instruction, and it's explain to them the nature of the hopelessness, the nature of the powerlessness. You know, teach them about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and it is it's extremely crucial that they understand uh, the nature of this disease before we move on, before we move on to step two, because if a person does not understand the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind and how they work together to keep us in the disease, to keep us in the food, they will not understand why it is so crucial to be abstinent and why it is so crucial to work the steps and probably more importantly, why it is so crucial to work the steps in abstinence, why it won't work if we work the steps while we sit in the food in the hope that the steps will get us abstinent. I mean, this needs to be understood um, really, really well. Otherwise, we're going to be building a house in a very slim foundation, um, going through the doctor's opinion uh, with a fine-tooth comb, taking as long a time as necessary in order for um, the newcomer, the, the person who struggles, uh, people who reach out in the community outside of this room. It's so important that they understand this. I just thought, you know, I was in the room for nine years and I knew that I was doomed and I knew that I had a disease, but I didn't understand. I never really read the doctor's opinion ever because it's in, in Roman numerals, so it's probably not important. Nobody ever took me through it, and so I didn't understand. I didn't understand, and I didn't accomplish anything as a result. I didn't know that it's important to, be, to have to be entirely abstinent, 100% abstinent, and then to work the steps. So um, to me, this is the, the, the fundamental um, work of a sponsor. It all starts with this. If we don't get this right, um, we're not going to uh, be helping um, other people very much, and I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. And Melissa C., you're up. Hi. Good morning, too. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, you know, what strikes me is how important it is to uh, dwell on that this is hopeless, um, because we haven't even talked about any kind of work that's to come, and um, you know, there's work that's going to come and, and hard work. Um, and unless I was truly convinced that I was hopeless, you know, I wasn't all that willing to do any kind of hard labor. Um, you know, so I dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady, my queer mental condition surrounding that first bite, leg, taste, um, that prevents normal functioning of the willpower. And that willpower has no place in my addiction. Um, 
you know, what I have is fatal and hopeless, and I say this, you know, I call my disease, um, you know, stage four cancer. That's, that's how it was for me. I tell the prospect that I know I was weeks away from a stroke, um, and I really believe that. I, my disease um, wants me dead, but it'll settle for fat and miserable and alone until it does me in. And, you know, that's what I say. I talk about the mental condition that seems to erase the pain from the part of my memory that can control my sound reasoning. Um, you know, I'm I'm a pretty intelligent person. I understand cause and effect. I know what a consequence is, and I can employ this in all areas of my life, you know, except for food and eating. Um, I understand, you know, I understood all my life if I didn't study, I'd fail a test. If I don't pay my bills, I would ruin my finances, but I could not connect at an extra bite of a food, you know, or eating any of my alcoholic foods would trigger the allergy. You know, I knew this. I knew from experience I could never have one cookie, um, but damn it if I didn't just think a million and one times that this time would be different. And, you know, I keep counting on the hopelessness, the fatality. I tell them, you know, how if they have what I have, um, They'll not be able to stop without a huge change, but I don't tell them about the big book yet. You know, um, I don't tell them how I changed. Um, I just drown, you know, pound on the point that this is hopeless. Hopeless, hopeless, but I have this hopeless. And, um, you know, and I sort of, I think, I start separating people from calling what they've been doing with food bad. You know, I hear so much, I've been bad with my food. Um, I say I've been sick. I'm afflicted. And if you're sick, then there's no way you could ever be good with your food on your own. Um, and that's kind of the message I carry at this point. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Okay, thank you, Melissa C. Uh, Renee G., you're up. Hi, this is Renee C., actually. Sorry. <laughs> I'm from Pennsylvania, too. <laughs> thank you so much for your service. Uh, C.G., whatever. My name is Renee C., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia. Thank you so much for everyone on the line. And um, what I really liked about this is they're talking about um, the alcoholic that um, thinks that he or she can still control his own drinking to tell him that he possibly can if he is not too alcoholic. And I find that kind of interesting but insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. And for most of my life, I was dieting, restricting, binging, um, crazy behaviors with food. I don't need to go into it because all of us who belong here know what I'm talking about. And uh, today I don't live my life that way, you know, um, this disease wants me to die. And I have another disease. I have a disease of um, cancer, which was diagnosed about eight months ago, and that is going incredibly well in the right direction. And it's not that I'm willing myself to be better. It's that my higher power and the people in the fellowship are praying and I'm talking to newcomers, I'm talking to people, I'm making my outreach calls, I'm doing my reading and writing, I'm doing my praying to my higher power, I am surrendering my life and my will and abandoning myself to my higher power on a daily basis. Is it perfect? No, it's not, because I'm not perfect and I never will be perfect. But I'm better, and the reason I'm better is because I really get in my heart of hearts that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And those two things were the reason that I could never stop or stay stopped. I could always stop the eating or whatever I was doing, but I could never stay stopped. So with that, I will pass. And again, it's Renee C. from Pennsylvania. And thank you, do so much for all you all you do on the program and how you help everybody. Okay, thank you. Um, I'd just like to remind everyone to please mute. There's someone writing or scribbling in the background. Can you please press star one to mute 
so that we can have a clear line. And we're going to move our sharing on to Monica T. Monica T, you're up. Good morning, Do. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater presently in Vermont. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. You know, hopeless, absolutely hopeless. And the more uh, of a sense of doom and hopelessness we have at this point as a as a newcomer, the better it is for me because that's what's going to motivate me, you know, the pain. So the queer mental condition, you know, that's our main problem with this disease is, is the obsession of my mind. My mind doesn't think like a normal person. I'm powerless over the fact, body-wise, that I have this allergy. You know, once you start, you can't stop. I'm powerless over the obsession of the mind. Once I've stopped, I can't stay stopped. And then I'm also powerless over my will. You know, willpower doesn't do anything for me when it comes to this disease. You know, I heard someone say one time, I do what I don't want to do. Every day I continue to do what I don't want to do. And every day I don't do what I want to do. And that just put it in focus for me. Wow, I was screwed. And it was so true. You know, every morning, get up. Yep, I'm going to be good today. Today I'm going to be good. I'm not going to binge. And, uh, oh, yep, today I'm going to be good. I'm going to follow my food plan. And, you know, I couldn't do either one because of this obsession of the mind I have, this abnormal way of thinking that when that idea pops into my head, it's the only idea in there, and I don't even know that. That's how powerless I am over this. And, um, you know, my own experience has shown. It didn't make any difference how much willpower I had, how much determination I had, how strong I was. If that idea pops into my head, I'm doomed. I'm screwed. I'm going to eat. I'm going to pick up. Um, and, it, and, and it's just baffling. Baffling, you know, the, the, the four horsemen, you know baffling, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. You know, for decades, I continue to do the same thing. Well, this time it's going to be different. You know, there's an obsession of the mind. This time it's going to be different. How many times, like in the big book, you know, everything's going along fine. I'm doing good. I'm following my diet. Next thing I'm into the food and I'm thinking back, how in the hell did this happen? You know, I'm pounding on the bar. How did this happen again? Because I am totally, totally powerless on my own over the obsession of my mind and I needed to understand that and of course when looking back over my history it was like yeah you know you got <laughs> 40 years here of doing the same things over and over again expecting a different result and it just isn't going to happen on your own Monica and um, and with that I'll pass thank you Monica Monica T excuse me Carol B you're up Carol? Good morning. Hi, morning, Drew. Morning. It's Carol G. <laughs> Carol G, excuse me. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, I'm Carol G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Step 12. It's all about the messenger for me. Um, yeah, this paragraph reminds me to let it begin with me because that's why I've got to keep my recovery fresh. It's all about being responsible for carrying the right message. Um I think for about a decade I was carrying very mixed messages about what was going on in this book and uh, today when I hear a prospect speak and I just listen with love and openness because anything can happen. Um, I'm not finishing their sentences, I'm not jumping in with a solution because I'm listening through the ears of experience and not the ears of intellect. I'm not listening to them from my mind, I'm not even judging, it's like something else is working within me. Um, I know when someone's cornered by this illness, they can come out fighting and not surrendering. Um, although they've asked for help, usually I get someone who's aggressive and distressed and full of fear, really, and I try to love them, but I can't love them better. I can only act as a signpost. And I remember um, 
when I was being carried the message, my head was running at 100,000 miles an hour. And it wasn't until I guess I put the food down that I could actually take a, a deep breath and say, what was it you said? What was it you said? And my sponsor had to just repeat it over and over again. And this message has been distilled down over years and a lot of it's got lost in translation. But here on A Vision for You, we study it line by line. And that for me has made all the difference to me and to the people that I carry the message to because they give it to me like this and I give it to them like this. And there's no carol in between. And I think what's happening is for me, when I look at that, is I'm hearing Tradition 5 that every group ought to be a spiritual entity, having that one primary purpose, that this message must be carried in its entirety as it is written down. And it's a really ugly, lonely disease, and I want them to know that the exit door exists, and I want them to know the wonderful things that I've experienced, but I can't throw it all them at once. And so, you know, I have to put myself to one side, keep rowing out there on an evening if somebody wants my help, carry the message and keep it as neat as it was in the beginning. So it's distilled down through me as it was to me. Thank you so much. Pa. Thank you so much. Paula D, you're up. And thank you, Drew, and thank you for the service that you're doing. This would be Paula D, Recovered Compulsive Over Buying with the Grace of God. You know, we see here from one paragraph to another, from one person to another, a gateway. And, you know, when you think of the word gateway, that's a way through the gate of some enclosure. What is the enclosure? And I'm going to be very clear here. Always, always the heart is beating, the lungs are breathing, and right here, the mind is a-thinking. That's what you're coming into here. Show him from your own experience. You know, don't, don't bring his in. Look at what that says there. A personal trial. Okay, let's go to Mr. Webster. I'm loving what he says. I'm not going to. There's nothing more than I could say. Knowledge gained by trial or observation. He's observing you as you speak. He's listening to the words, but he's looking at you. It doesn't match. Now, look at what it says here. And I love this. Don't at this stage refer to this book. Well, that's the first thing I want to do. Wait. Unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And then it adds something. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Well, that's what I wanted to do. No. No. If he doesn't see, then he will not see. And then it says, I love it. Look at what it opens up. Let him draw his own conclusion. You don't have to tell him what he knows. Why would you have to do that? But look at here, how it ends. I just, I got to tell you, what an open door, a gateway. Oh, yeah. He sees the enclosure. He must see his own thinking that forms a feeling and that forms a behavior. He must see it. But insist. Okay, well, now we have a little something that if he is severely afflicted, oh, what a word. Inflicted? It takes the sting out of not bad, not guilty, not wrong. Sick. There may be little chance he can recover by himself. You know, with that hopelessness, you give him hope. And I thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak in this time, and now I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And Kim G., you'll be our last share for today. Um... You're up. Oh, Kim G. Okay, okay sorry. Oh, I had a hard time unmuting. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, wow. The shares have been so incredibly beautiful. Um, it, we're, we're exemplifying what this paragraph is telling us to do right here. So as people were sharing, I decided I'm going to zone in on that paragraph, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of a malady. So as people were sharing, I looked up, what's the definition of dwell? It says to remain for a time, to keep attention directed upon. And that's exactly what we're doing. The hopeless feature of the malady. You know, we're about to finish up working with others. And the 12 steps, even though we talk about the first 164, the first 12 steps which create the spiritual awakening are actually pages, the doctor's opinion through, um, oh gosh, right through uh, this chapter, Working with Others, which is 114 pages. 
The step one chapters are the doctor's opinion, Bill's story, there is a solution, more about alcoholism. That's 55 pages. So literally half the work is this idea that we have to diagnose ourselves. Do we need the rest of the work? And once we create the need for the rest of the work, people are going to be motivated. And I think so many times we, we, we go past this step one so quickly. You know, I thought step one was, well, if I'm 80 pounds overweight, then I'm a compulsive overeater. If I am throwing up more than three times a day, then I'm a bulimic. If I'm 30 pounds underweight, I'm an anorexic. I define my disease by the consequences. You know, I remember going through this chapter with somebody, and she's a, wound up she was a pharmaceutical rep, and she said, Kim, this chapter is just like my, my sales training classes. You don't sell the drugs. You don't sell the blood pressure medication. What you do is you sell the need for the blood pressure medication, and once they need the blood pressure medication, the sale is easy. What we're doing now is we're selling the need for doing these work. You know, and I remember a couple of days later watching TV and there was a Viagra commercial on the television, and all it was was the pictures of pretty girls. There was no information about Viagra and what it does and how it works. They were selling the fact, look at these pretty girls. If you want to be with these pretty girls, we have a drug to, sit to show you that. So that's what I've heard so beautifully described in this meeting. Why do we need to do this work? Because we have a, a hopeless feature of the malady. That step one does not say don't drink, which is what I thought it said for years. Step one is you're going to drink, you're going to drink, you're going to drink. And why is that? Because I have an allergy to the body, which is a permanent condition, permanent condition. I, it's like telling someone who's allergic to strawberries and breaks out in a rash, eat the strawberries and try to control the rash. That's insane. But the greater aspect is I have this mental twist that's always going to convince me it's going to be okay. I cannot get comfortable abstinence. My true problem is abstinence. And if I have both features of that malady, I am hopeless. And I am so grateful for a meeting that dwelled on this for an hour. And hopefully some people will be sold on the idea they need this work. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And that brings us to the close of our meeting. Thank you especially to Team Friday uh, for doing service, and thank you to everyone who has shared. Before we move on, uh, can you please uh, mute your phones? Press star 1 to mute. I, I hear a lot of background noise. Um, please press star 1. I'm still hearing a lot of background noise. Someone's still unmuted. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, before we move on, I would like to make a correction on our um, reference numbers um, for, yet, uh, for Wednesday, August 17th, not August 10th, um, is 9005, and for Thursday, August, not 11th, but August 18th is 9008. Just wanted to make that correction. Okay, now... Um, we're going to be moving on to the second hour of our recorded study of the big book, followed by the closing of the big book. So please join us for that. We will now close up with the reading of the big book on page 164. And someone's still unmuted. Can you please mute by pressing star 1 so that we can have a clear line? would really appreciate that. Um, someone's Thank you. Okay, so again, um, we will close the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And um, I'm still hearing a lot of background noise. Please press star one to mute. Thank you. Okay, now um, we're going to continue with um, asking Nancy H., to please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. 
Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.